Father God, we open your word asking you to speak to us and confessing to you that we need your help to hear and to listen and to follow your word. So would you give us faith where we lack it? Uh, would you give us strength where we lack it? Father, for some of us, it's just as practical as it's just hard to pay attention to the red word and to the spoken word. Would you help us with that? Uh, Father, it is even hard for me to speak it clearly and to proclaim it well. Would you help me with that? By overcoming all of our weaknesses, not to mention our stubbornness and our hardness of heart to listen, would you make yourself great in this room, speaking through the word that you have composed long ago and still speak through today? Would you do that and change our lives? We ask in your son Jesus' name, amen. Well, today marks the third and the final week that we are looking at the story of God's call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Go ahead and turn there. If you missed the last few weeks, we've been looking at this same story for quite a while now because, well, what happens is the Lord God reaches out to a man named Abram, makes a great call upon his life, and in doing so, completely changes his life. The reason we're we're looking at it is that that call to him tells us so much about the call God gives to us, to the call that he places on our lives. And so we've got two more aspects of the call God places upon us from this text that we'll look at this week. Uh, before we do that, I'll kind of give you the backstory here and uh, walk through a few things just in case this is your first time with us in a little while. So there's a man named Abram. And he is living in a place called Ur, which is a city in what will become Babylon, uh, the nation that will become a symbol of the world's nations in the Bible, a symbol of their worldliness, and even a symbol of some of the bad things about them. So he's just a guy living there, probably living a lot like them. And what happens is the Lord just speaks to him. He says to him, hey, Abram, uh, leave everything you have, your city, your land, your father's house, leave it all, go to a place that I'll show you. Now, he doesn't tell him what it's going to be yet, just tells him, go, go to this place that I'll show you when you get there. I'll guide you all the way there. Uh, and I am going to give you a great land, a great nation. I'll give your descendants a great land, and I'll make you a blessing to all the earth. So Abram gets up with everything, including his family and everything, all his stuff, and his father, and they go and they wind up settling in this place called Haran. Uh, they settle there for a while. His father dies while they are there. Uh, and then it looks like the Lord moves him then to go down to Canaan. And it sounds like he doesn't yet know where he's going to wind up. The Lord leads him down to Canaan. Uh, while he's at Canaan, the Lord says, this is the place. I'm going to give your descendants this land to make a great nation of you here. And so Abram builds an altar in this very spot there, worships the Lord, goes down a little further south to the bottom end of it. So he surveyed the whole thing from north to south now, builds another altar and worships the Lord there. This is a land that's roughly the size of Indiana and he's now walked it from uh, top all the way down to bottom. Maybe he got to ride on a camel, I don't know. But it was a pretty long journey. He got to see the whole thing and survey it. That's kind of the, the pattern in the story there. Let's read it now knowing that that's the order that things go in and then we'll look at the call that God gives to us through it. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. 
and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and so you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired at Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. So the Lord is giving a call to Abram in this text, and he gives a call to you as well. That call is very simple. Jesus says it in three words to his disciple. Those words are, come follow me. No matter who you are, in the hearing of this word, the fact that you read this Bible today and the word is being preached to you, through these things, the Lord is reaching to you with an open hand and saying, as Jesus said to his disciples, come and follow me. Now, we'll talk more about what that looks like in a minute, but it's essentially turning from everything that you are and love to follow him and all of his ways because of the great promises he makes to you of forgiveness and an eternal inheritance and all of the things that can be yours. That Paul is floating today, waiting for some of you to answer it, and many of you instead are looking back on it on the day when you did answer it and the life you have lived since then. Uh, whichever one of those situations that you are in, my prayer for you is that God will make clearer and clearer through these messages and this one now today, just what it is that he is calling to you. What is the life that he is calling to you like? How can you live more faithfully for him if you do follow him? Or if you do not follow him yet, what are are you being called to? What is the Lord asking you to consider as he calls you to come and follow him? This is not all that different from receiving a life-changing phone call. I said this a few weeks ago. Some of you know what it is like to pick up your phone, slide it open, answer it, and hear words that will change your life forever. Important words, sometimes good words, sometimes bad words, uh, but they will change your life nonetheless. The call the Lord gives to you is a good one. It is a call to follow him, and it will change every day of the rest of your life. So we'll look today then at two ways God's call changes your life. Uh, the first one is that is it, a call, it is a call that you must obey in faith. It's a call that you must obey in faith. And this idea of faith leading to obedience is a big theme in the scriptures. And it is something that we can very easily get wrong. In fact, we very often do get it wrong. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline for you a couple ways that we mess this up and get it wrong and misunderstand how faith leads to obedience or how they connect. Then we'll look at Abram's story and what the New Testament says about it and kind of shed light. We'll clear up the mud on some of these issues. So we, we tend to get this wrong in, in particularly two different ways. Uh, the first one... Uh, you know, you might ask genuinely, what do I have to do to answer God's call, right? If he's calling me, what do I have to do? And the answer is really simple. Believe upon Jesus and you'll be saved. 
believe what he says about him and you will be saved. It's that simple. And that's true. You're saved by faith alone. But it's not very long before somebody comes along and figures out how to game that system, right? Hmm, that's a pretty good deal. Get saved by faith alone, just believe in Jesus, and then I can go do whatever I want, right? I don't have to actually follow through and follow him. I can just go live the lifestyle I want to live, and now I can do it with a clean conscience because the Lord said if I just trust him and believe in him, then he forgives me, and I get to do whatever I want. Now, usually it's not this blatant. Usually people don't come to Jesus saying things like this, right? But there are many people who have uh, articulated faith in Jesus, maybe done a ritual like walking down an aisle and proclaiming things before the church, maybe been baptized before the whole church, uh, but looking at their life today, there is no visible sign that they are walking with Jesus, right? Uh, so, they're, so they're articulating faith in him, but not living in obedience, the obedience that faith would bring. And it could be tough to even talk to people in that situation without sounding like a legalist, without saying, hey, you've, you've got to obey Jesus if you want to follow. If you're not living for him, you don't have faith. And well, wait a minute, I thought I was saved by faith alone. I thought that was all I had to do was believe in him. And it, it, did, it works like that, but it doesn't work like that. You see how this can get muddied up when we try to take advantage of what the Lord is offering us. That's one way that we can mess this up. Uh, the other way is on the flip side. Some of us try to obey Jesus without grounding it in faith. Uh, you've probably heard a sermon before that was really convicting to you or read the word and seen, oh, I am not doing this right, right? And you walk away from that with a sense of, I gotta do better in that area. Like, I've got to obey Jesus in this area. And that's good. And we should do what he says. But if we miss the step of faith leading to obedience, it's very easy to just put all of our faith in our obedience. I've got to get better. I've got to get better. I've got to get better. And here we are in the second week of January, and now we're all reminded of how bad we are at resolutions, right? Like we can resolve we are going to do whatever, and that's going to last about a week, and then it doesn't work. And so our history tells us you can walk out of church like resolved. I'm going to get better at this thing the pastor talked about or whatever it was. I read in the word today I'm going to get better at it right and history tells us what's going to happen you're just going to flop again and we'll come back the next Sunday and say I didn't get any better at it what happened or maybe we do get a little better and then the next week we get a little bit better and then you know we become a pretty good person and then we start to think, man, it's almost like we're tempted to try to be good enough for Jesus, like good enough to be forgiven by Jesus, because we're supposed to obey him, right? We're supposed to obey his word. And so in that way, we can kind of muddy things up again and, and bypass faith. Well, the answer to all of this is that faith leads to obedience. And I'll show you this in the story of Abraham, and then I'll untie all the knots that I just tied that we're all going like, what, wait a minute, huh? So let's look at the story first. Uh, look at the first four verses with me, if you would. So you see like a pattern here in these first four verses. First, in the first verse, uh, the Lord calls him to leave, right? And then in the second and third verse, you can see God making a big promise to him. And then you see in the fourth verse that Abraham obeys and goes, right? It's that simple. Go here. Here's everything I'll give you. Abraham says, okay, let's go. Now, what's going on there psychologically? That's what we're trying to get at. Like, what happened in Abraham that made him say, okay, I'll go? What was it? Well, if we flip to the book of Hebrews, it'll tell us. Uh, we can put it on the screens for you, or if you want to, you can flip there in your Bibles. Uh, 
Hebrews 11 unpacks for us what faith really is and how it affects our obedience. If we can get this right, so much about the Christian life makes sense and becomes clear. So uh, if you flipped over there, verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it defines faith for us. You have not seen something, but you are confident it's going to happen. Your team is playing in the NFL playoffs this Sunday afternoon, and you're saying, I have faith in these guys. I know they're going to produce and they're going to win. Now, that's foolish with sports because you never know what's going to happen with sports, and that's what makes them fun, right? It would be silly to put faith like that in in a team to know that they are going to win. But when it comes to the things of the Lord, it's wise because he says to you, I will do this. I offer you this. This will happen. And you haven't seen it yet, but you've got that sense of assurance and trust that because he said it, it's going to happen. I'm not worried about it. I know how this is going to turn out. It is the assurance of things hoped for. So Abram is hoping for descendants. He's hoping for a land for them. He wants these things. He's got full assurance it's going to happen. That's what faith is, trusting in God's promises. Uh, Then verse 2 tells us a little bit about it, that faith is how you get right with God. It's not by doing things, but it's by trusting in him. That's how you get right with God. Even in the Old Testament, when men did great things for God, uh, they they were approved because of faith. And this is what it says. It says, for by it, the men of old gained approval. So they gained God's approval, not by doing the right thing but by having faith in God and by trusting him. So there's the beginning. It starts with faith, trusting in him. And then the rest of that chapter is going to go through many of those great men of old and show what they did through faith. And that's, that gets at the point that we're getting at here. Faith leads to action. We obey in faith. So all these men do this awesome stuff because they believe in the promises of God. So if we scan down to verse 8, we can see that true of Abram. And this is going to make sense out of what we just read in Genesis about Abram. He says, by faith, Abram, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You see that? How did Abram obey God? By faith. Because he trusted the promise God made to him. And that's why he did it. Now, if he had said to himself, who is this voice talking to me? Promising me a nation and descend. I don't even have a son and I'm 75 years old. Who who is this guy? This is crazy. I don't believe that. He probably would not have left everything he had and gone out there on a risk, right? No, he left and he did what God said because he trusted the promise that God made to him. And that is how faith makes a difference in the Christian life. When you trust in the promises he has made to you, when you look at those promises, I have no doubt those things are going to come true for me. All of a sudden, you start doing what he says. All of a sudden, it changes everything. So faith leads to obedience. This is a call that we must obey, but we must obey it in faith. That means something to both of the kinds of people I talked about earlier. Remember, I talked for a minute about the person who uh, says they follow Jesus, but doesn't actually follow Jesus in any area of their life. 
or then the person who is trying to work and work and try to work and be good enough for Jesus. Uh, this truth solves the riddle for both of them. Uh, we'll look first at the person who wants to believe in Jesus but doesn't want to obey. Uh, usually that looks like this these days. Um, for some, this surfaces in kind of a, like a lax attitude about worship and about being with God's people. I'll go if I feel like it, won't go if I don't feel like it. Maybe you're in and out of church for months and months at a time and you just don't sense much attachment there or to the things of God. But yeah, yeah, I believe in God and Jesus and Mary and all that. I'm just not all that involved in, in what he is doing. That's one way that it shows up for people. Uh, Another way it shows up for single older adults and most young people, or many young people, not most young people, uh, is a willingness to follow Jesus in every area of life except for who you go to bed with, right? Like, I'll live the moral life, I'll be committed to the church, I'll give, but who I go to bed with is my business, not the Lord's business. Another way that shows up. Uh, and maybe a third way that it shows up is a willingness to follow Jesus' morals and his ways and be involved in the church, uh, but just carrying around a, a bitter hatred for other people, like just holding grudges. People can see the sternness in your face, and it's, there's, there's, a, there's a love for the commands of God, but not a love for other people present in someone's life. There's the ways you often see this kind of thing. Uh, and this truth just kind of solves the riddle for it. Uh, there's a way it's, ways it surfaces, but the idea is that you want to believe in Jesus but aren't willing to follow him and obey him in significant areas of your life. And if this is you, uh, what this comes down to is faith. What it comes down to is when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for I am gentle and I am low of heart, you don't believe him. And when he says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep, my ways are good, you don't believe him. Because if you believed him, you would be eager to be one of his sheep. You would want to follow his ways. You'd be rejoicing with the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I've got all I want. And he leads me to great pastures and still waters because his ways are so good. And the reason you don't want to follow the ways is because you don't trust him, that he's good, that his ways are good, and his promises will come true for you. Now, the answer is not to just start obeying him. So, so if, if I'm talking to you right now, I'm not saying you need to start obeying Jesus. I'm saying you need to start trusting Jesus. And from that trust in Jesus, then walk in obedience to Jesus. That's how it answers the question for the first person. Uh, the answer is similar to the person who keeps trying to change their life but keeps flopping at it, right? It can be so discouraging and just this spiral of I'm trying to change and I never change and what's going on. Uh, the problem for many people is that we're skipping the first step. We, we come to the good ways of the word and we, we see that his ways are good and we want to follow him, but we skip the step of faith, we, we, we don't come to him trusting in him, believing that he is giving us good things that we can't earn, and then from that foundation, living a life of faithfulness because of our faith. So the, the key there is to move from obeying God so that you can be forgiven to obeying God because you are forgiven. So if that's you, I'm also not saying to you, start obeying Jesus. I'm saying start trusting in him. He offers to you forgiveness freely. 
And if you do anything to try to earn it, you forfeit it. You just have to take it as a free gift on faith. And then from that foundation, he will give you a life of good things and good works. That doesn't mean you'll be a sage overnight and you'll all of a sudden be this awesome, changed person. Sometimes he changes people really quickly. But from that faith, you'll have a foundation from which you can live a life of good works. That's one thing that Abraham's call teaches you about your call. It's a, it's a call to obey in faith. Yes, we obey it, but we do that in faith. And that connection is tricky. If you can only remember one thing from it, just remember that faith leads to obedience. Faith is, faith is the root, obedience is the fruit in that way. That's one thing it teaches us. Uh, the other thing that we're looking at today is that the, goal, the call that God places on you is a call to worship. It is even a call to a life offering worship up to the Lord. Uh, and you can see that uh, by taking what Abram does here and fitting it into the rest of the pattern of Genesis. Uh, what he does is he, after he sees the land, all right, the Lord says to your descendants, I'm giving this land. You can see what he does right there in the text. He builds an altar. Uh, and then he goes somewhere else and he builds another altar and he begins offering worship to the Lord. And we can see a pattern in that. Uh, let's look at what he does first and then I'll unpack it a little bit. Scan down to verses 6 through 8 with me in Genesis 12. It says this. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So you can see what he did there. So after the Lord appears to him at Shechem by the oak of Morah, uh, he builds uh, an altar particularly to the Lord, like the Lord is named there. And then at the end of verse 8, between Bethel and Ai on this mountain, in between the two of them, uh, he builds another altar to the Lord, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. So the Lord is mentioned there many times, very specific, who he is worshiping. Now, an altar is a place you build to sacrifice something. And the original word in Hebrew was kind of like our word baptistry, like we have a baptistry for baptizing people, right? That's why it's called a baptistry. Well, the word, the way that it's pronounced in Hebrew would be something like a, a sacrificiary, right? Like it's a place for sacrificing. The name is clear that this is a place we go and we sacrifice stuff. So by building these altars, he's declaring his intent to sacrifice things to the Lord on them. Uh, just like we have that baptistry because we intend to baptize people at it, right? So that's his intent is to sacrifice things. Uh, this phrase called upon the name of the Lord is a phrase that Genesis uses sometimes for worshiping the Lord by name. And for both of these altars, it's careful to mention that it's the Lord he's worshiping here. So that means that Abram changed from whatever Babylonian gods he was worshiping and whatever Babylonian practices of worship he was doing to being a worshiper of the Lord God, the Lord God's ways. Like it's a turning from one kind of worship and one God that he's, or one set of gods he's worshiping to the God of the universe. And the call that God gives to you is very much the same, to turn from the just many, many views about the world that are here in the States, whatever gods 
you may be worshiping or whatever, things you may be chasing after, to bow your knee alone to Jesus Christ who is Lord of all and worship him, just as Abram does here as he turns away and worships the Lord. Now, that's part of what I mean when I say that coming to Jesus is turning away from other things to follow him, Uh, because it's not just a moral lifestyle and it's not just an inward belief, but it is a life of homage and worship offered up to the Lord, a life of regularly trembling with glory before his, uh, with his people, before his glory, a life of regularly offering him sacrifices of praise. And now he has come to earth and he's given the name Jesus, and so we worship him by that name, by the name of Jesus. So the Lord, now known by, as Jesus, is who Abram started worshiping, Um, Let me tell you a little bit about the pattern that Genesis gives us uh, of worship because I think it will inform what Abram did here and what we are called to give as well as worshipers. So the first like act of sacrifice and worship you can see in the Bible is Cain and Abel. They are both coming before the Lord regularly, offering on one hand uh, the first fruits of the flock from Abel and uh, offerings from the vegetables and fruits and things that he was growing from Cain. They both bring their offerings to the Lord regularly. And the big drama in the story is that the Lord receives Abel's offering and does not receive Cain's offering. That's the big deal, right? And so it is then a really big deal as to whether or not God accepts your offering. Like that's really important when you're offering worship. Not something we think about often today, but in days of old that was very, very, is he gonna, is, does he like this thing I'm offering him? Big deal. Uh, a little bit after that, in the same story, it says that people began to call upon the name of the Lord as if to say that sacrifices and worship to the Lord continued. Uh, it happens again uh, explicitly when Noah departs the ark. Uh, he's been saved through a great flood through which everyone on earth but eight people died. He and his family are living. He wants to offer great thanks to the Lord. And so he builds an offer and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord smells the aroma of the sacrifice and he's so pleased that he smiles and says, I will never flood the earth like this again. That's why we're all still here today. He never did it again uh, because of that sacrifice. So once again, it's a big deal that the Lord received his sacrifice. And this pattern goes on and on through the Bible. We were just talking in Sunday school about some guys that took a small army out and, and they defeated a really large army and they came back and they went to Moses and they said, we didn't lose a man in this battle. And so we, the soldiers, Soldiers and generals want to offer a, a sacrifice to the Lord. Here is some gold that we have that we want to give to the Lord because he did something awesome for us. So the pattern, though, is God does something great for us. Uh, he blesses us. He makes great promises to us. We turn around and offer sacrifices of worship to him. So we're responding to what he's given to us with sacrifices of worship to him. That's the pattern there. That's what Abram did. That's what the men before him and the men after him did. And it's what we do today. So the Lord gives to you tremendous blessings. He gives to you forgiveness, freely offered, right? An inheritance that cannot be shaken, that's greater than we can imagine. A church family to unite with and worship. Uh, Never mind the material and family blessings that many of us have, right? Great blessings the Lord gives to us. So what we are doing here when we gather like this is we are saying, God, you have been so good to us. 
Here is our offering of praise, which we offer praying that he will accept it. And based upon our faith, he will either accept it or not accept it. If we trust in Jesus, he will accept us. Uh, if we do not, he does not accept the offering. And so what kind of things does he like being offered? Well, all sorts of things. He loves it when his people sing to him, and so that's why we do hymns and songs and why we sing like this, because he loves it when we sing to him. Uh, we give that as a sacrifice of praise to him. He loves it when we pray to him, and so we offer prayers, we ask for what we long for. He loves to have his own words read in public like this, and so we do that, and sometimes we recite it together. He loves to have his word proclaimed and preached, and so we do that as an offer of praise for him. He loves it when we listen and obey his word and so we do that we try to pay attention when it's difficult to and we take the word in and try to live it when it's hard to do he wants us to baptize people that's why we built a baptist church why we baptize people he wants us to have the lord's supper which is the whole reason that that table right there exists all stuff that he loves and we offer to him and he says offer it to me with thankfulness in your hearts with awe before me at my glory that is what i call from you that's the life that he's called you to 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 regularly uniting with his people and offering those kinds of sacrifice to praise uh, before him. And in that way, we are like Abram, offering a sacrifice of worship regularly after answering the call and receiving the promise. Now, if we can, uh, if we can remember that, that what we do here is an offering of worship given to God, it will change so much of how we view worship and it will keep us from going down the wrong roads in a lot of areas because we won't look at worship as this encouraging thing that we come to to be uplifted and get something out of. Or we won't look at it as this preferential thing where they did all of the music and the preaching and the graphics and everything just how I like. Instead, we'll be offering things up to the Lord. Uh, here we are worshiping the Lord of hosts. This will correct for some of us a lackadaisical view of worship and for others of us the worship critic that lives. I don't know if there's a worship critic in you but there's a worship critic in me and he is alive and well just wants to criticize everything that any musician ever does. Remembering that we are offering this up to God will just kill that critic and kill that lazy person right there. Right, That, that part of you that just says um, uh, I'm just not sure if I want to go this week. Like, uh, it's just, you got you to get it in the car, maybe even get the kids in the car. And it's, it's just so much work. Am I really going to get out of this as much as I'm putting into this? Well, if we remember that we're offering things up to the Lord here, that this isn't done for us, but we're doing it for him, that just kills that. Uh, the, maybe I can explain it like this. Uh, most of our lives, uh, we are the one receiving the media we're consuming, right? If you're sitting down to Netflix and you watch a movie, it's presented to you, right? You're the one that's paying like 12 bucks a month to watch those movies. And so you, if you want to, when the movie's over with, you can get on RottenTomatoes.com and say, this is an awesome movie. Everybody, I really liked it because it does everything that I like in movies. Everybody go see it. Or you can say, this movie was terrible, right? Or if it's bad halfway through, just turn it off, right? Because it's being presented to you and offered to you. You go to the movie theater uh, and you pay for your ticket, you go in there and you sit down and it turns out to just be a really boring movie. And you can just kind of 
get distracted if you want to, right? Because it is being offered to you. Uh, you fire up the music app in your phone and you listen to some music and uh, it's one great song and another great song and then a song you don't like and you skip, right? Uh, all of those things are being presented to you. You're the one receiving them and you're the one that decides, I receive that, I don't receive that, right? That's how it works. The difference between this room and all those other things is that when we come here, we're no longer the recipient. When we come here, we're the ones offering the worship up to the Lord. And so there's no room for, I prefer this style of music, so we need to do this. No, it's, it's not offered to you. There's no room for, man, why don't we do some faster songs so it can be more fun? Or, man, we gotta do those good old songs. I like those good old, there's not room for that because it's not presented to you and it's not offered to you. Instead, we give it up to him and we pray, Lord, would you receive this offering that we offer to you? Now that doesn't mean that what our leaders and musicians do isn't accountable and that it can't be critiqued at all. It just means that the question is different. Uh, it also doesn't mean that it's wrong to pat somebody on the back and say, hey, good job today in worship or good job preaching today. And none of that is wrong either. It just changes the question we say all that from. Instead of, does this meet my preferences and my desires? It's, was the Lord pleased with what was offered today? And so I'm sure, like, just for instance, to, to pick on Paul for a moment, he preached two weeks ago, I wasn't here, I'm sure plenty of you patted him on the back and said, hey, good job, Paul, right? Nothing wrong with that if what's in your heart is, I think the Lord was really pleased with what you did, like, then that's a good and godly thing to say. But if it's, well, that was everything that I like in a sermon, and so I like that sermon because this is all about me, that's the difference. You see the difference here? It's not offered to us, it's offered up to the Lord. If we can get that straight, it corrects so much of what we so often do uh, wrongly and makes things difficult in worship for us. Another point we can draw out of this about worship is that Abram is explicitly offering worship to the Lord in front of people who worship other gods. Uh, now to notice this, you have to pay attention to the places, and it's tough to pay attention to the places in scripture sometimes. You know where they are, you've never heard of these places. Uh, but it's important to know that the Oak of Morah, where he uh, built his altar next to, is a prominent Canaanite worship site. It'd be like worshiping right next to the big temple, right? They, they, they worshiped there. Right next to it, he builds an altar to the Lord and he worships the Lord of hosts. Then he goes in between two prominent cities on the mountain that is between them. And I presumably, I suppose either city could just look up to the top of the mountain and see this guy worshiping the Lord Jesus, uh, worshiping a different God. So what he's doing then, to say it again, is he's explicitly worshiping the Lord, who we call Jesus, in front of people who worship different gods. These Canaanites are worshiping whatever gods it was, probably Baal at the time, coming out from their great festival, and there's that weird old man over there building that altar. I wonder what he's doing. And then the next time they come out, and there he is offering a sacrifice to the Lord. I wonder what he is doing. So our worship is something that we offer particularly to Jesus, and we do it in front of people that don't believe in Jesus. That is why 
We work so hard to make sure the lyrics of our songs and the content of our sermon are so particularly in worship of Jesus. It's not just that we want a song that would please the Lord, we do want a song that would please the Lord, but he wants us to make sure that it is him we are worshiping and everybody knows it. So we want our Muslim friends and our Hindu friends and our American friends that don't believe much of anything, we want them here in this room when we're doing this. And basically, we want them to have a moment like in the first or second song where they just realize, huh, these people worship somebody different than I worship. Like, this is not the same thing that I believe. That's what Abram did there before the Canaanites, calling upon the name of the Lord in front of them. And it is what we do here as well. So from that foundation laid now, what we do in this room is we offer sacrifices of worship to the Lord by name, the name of Jesus, openly in front of the world. Uh, the call to follow Jesus is a call to be a part of that and to refuse to be part of that is to refuse in some ways to answer the call of Jesus. So those are two big things that this story teaches us about the call God places upon you, a call to obey him in faith and a call to live a life that offers worship to him. Uh, to wrap this up, I just wanna point out, you know, there are probably some of you, I even hope there are some of you, who are looking at life and seeing that call, obedient faith and worship offered, and saying, I do not live like that. I have a big problem, like what now? Like what do I do if I've lived for decades and I have not followed him faithfully, I have not been worshiping him. What happened, can I, can I come back, is it too late? What goes on? And the answer is that you are not the only one in that state. In fact, every one of us either is or has been in that very same position. And the Lord himself, knowing that about you, knowing that you would not follow him, you would not obey him, you would not worship him, he said to his son as he sat on his throne, Go to the earth, my son. Uh, live a life among them. And when they turn on you and try to kill you, I want you to let them kill you. And when they do, I will accept your death and your blood as an offering of sacrifice to cover their sins. And so the offer that's made to you today is if you can put your trust in that son of God and Jesus himself, who died willingly to pay for your sins, then all of that, that whole life of not worshiping the Lord, the whole life of not obeying him uh, is no more. Separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Completely paid for if you would trust in him. That is the offer that he makes to you and the call that he gives to you is come and follow me. Let's pray together.